welcome, ladies and gentlemen. We got a lot I want to cover this morning, so let's go ahead and get started, and we'll just uh, fill everybody in as they filter in. Hope everybody had a good week this week. Um, this is our, we have three classes after today, so just hang in there with you, and we'll, we'll have a lot, we're going to have a lot of fun the last three weeks. Cause we're going to get the paint. Yeah, you want to paint? You want to paint? Well, we'll make it happen. Bring everybody a read. Yeah, yeah. Bring a read and some permanent, some sharpies, and just let y'all take off on the walls. And make it. I'm sure. Never mind. We have an elder or two present. Thank y'all for being here again this morning. Um, so I had planned to start with the early, uh, talking this morning about some early Anglo-Saxon Celtic uh, art and artifacts and starting with illuminated manuscripts. And I thought, how, how can I start talking about illuminated manuscripts and then just stop and then pick it up later? So I thought this entire morning we'd be talking about books, uh, illuminated manuscripts, which were considered uh, from the earliest period, I think last week we took took a look at some uh, Coptic, the earliest gospel books, and how they were considered uh, re really through uh, the late medieval period works of art in themselves. They did have a liturgical purpose. Um, they did have personal um, devotion, and they were a status symbol among the wealthy class, uh, but for the most part they were considered works of art. Uh, until much, uh, much later in the medieval and early Renaissance period. Um, books, of course, were terribly expensive uh, during uh, uh, the late antiquity, early medieval period. Uh, this, of course, there was no printing press. Uh, every book was handmade. Most people weren't, the general population weren't literate. So the only places books were really read or written or copied were monasteries. So the monastic movement had many uh, benefits, side benefits to uh, uh, general society. Uh, one of them was is that the monasteries and the abbeys were the center of education, uh, probably up through the 1300s in Europe, Central Europe, uh, and and. Uh, the places where Christianity had spread into the West. Um, and that didn't change for a long time. Um, now, there were lots of different purposes, uh, again, how, how these uh, manuscripts got used. But again, for, um, for the most part, they were kind of functional, but mostly works of art, works of art as devotion uh, to God. So what I thought we would do this morning is uh, start with kind of the oldest, uh, or not not actually the oldest, but the most famous, finest work of uh, illuminated, uh, illuminated manuscript work uh, of the early uh, medieval period, and that is the Book of Kells. Most of you have probably heard of the Book of Kells, right? Who has not heard of the Book of Kells? It's okay, you can admit it. So yeah, Book of Kells. Uh, so uh, the Book of Kells, commonly thought now to have been created uh, during the mid to late eighth century, uh, and it was created in a 
Columba, uh, the Saint Columba, who came first came to Ireland, Scotland, and and started uh, monasteries. In fact, by the time he got to uh, um, Scotland, he had already started fifty six monasteries. So he was a uh, kind of a, a a big leader in the monastic movement in the eighth century, and then, uh, or sorry, in the sixth century, uh, he actually came to Britain and. Uh, the early 500s um, and began a mo monastery a couple of hundred years later or roughly uh, the Book of Kells was begun at what is thought to be the monastery of Iona which is off an island off of Scotland uh, it was begun there by the monks uh, later possibly finished in the Abbey of Kells which is north of Dublin and now it resides at Trinity College in, in Dublin, where it's uh, probably Ireland's greatest national treasure, uh, cultural treasure. Uh, half a million people a year see this book. Um, I think uh, the Walkers have seen it. Uh, Alan and uh, Clay, Clay, you have something to say already about the book of Chaos? No. Well, I was just Oh, uh, all right. You acknowledging you're being acknowledged. Yeah. She has she has a great story about throwing up, but we'll maybe yeah, at Trinity College. Uh, Not on the book though. <laughs> yeah, you would you wouldn't be around. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it, the Book of Kells was originally. I don't, Six hundred. It's a gospel book, which most of the early illuminated manuscripts are gospel books. They're the four uh, gospels, and they're uh, also some. Many of them contain commentary. Many of them contain um, uh, the uh, the tables that show how each of the gospels line up. Uh, what's that called? Sorry. The synoptic. Synoptic table. Yeah, the early synoptic table. Which shows the parallels between each gospel account, um, and then sometimes there are prayers, sometimes there are psalms added, uh, sometimes there uh, are stories, as in the Book of Kell, about the Saint Columba. Um, there's all kinds of things that can be included, but for the most part, it's a gospel book. Uh, it's in Vulgate Latin, um, which most gospel books are. Uh, <laughs> were right on through uh, the medieval period into the Renaissance because we don't um, we don't have any English going on at this point till Vatican II right <laughs> it's a long time till we get English and liturgical language uh, but this book is uh, is really a singular um, singular uh, event and art really is the culmination of the best uh, that uh, illuminated manuscripts has to offer up until the Renaissance when they become kind of a different thing but all of these um, it was probably worked on by the entire monastery there are at least two main uh, artists two or three main artists who do the the lettering uh, and then the carpet pages which these are commonly known as carpet pages because they there's no text on them they're covered with the entire um, you know illustrations uh, these, of course, are the four um, uh, evangelist symbolized. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. The, these, 
I mean, many of you recognize these uh, intertwined, um, sorry, there's a, yeah, look at this, I got a laser for it. <laughs> so all of this is really commonly, I mean, you see this on tattoos people have today, right? Like uh, Celtic knot uh, designs. Uh, you, you find this all over the manuscript. Um, also these, uh, these little guys, uh, the typical, yeah. Cyclops. Yeah, cyclops. This is amazing though. I, I don't know how to, this is the full page and these are the guys here that's in set. Um, I, don't, I don't know, I, I've never seen or never had a facsimile of the Book of Kells. Alan, what would you say the page size is now? The, they're not huge, right? They're this, this uh, big. Just by memory, I'm thinking like a large sheet. Yes. Uh, that's there. Okay, large sheet. Like yeah. a. Uh, the thing about the thing about illuminated text, and, and the, you might get to this, but the like the picture, it just doesn't do it justice. Right. The yeah. Color. The, right. The, the, the shine that comes through with the, the metal that's in there. It's, right. It's the, really remarkable to see in person. Yeah. The this um, it, it is amazing work of art for lots of different reasons but this is not the intricacy of of all of these designs um, are are all very small it, it uh, all this was done with quill um, sil silver point on vellum uh, eventually which was a stick with a piece of silver on it and they would out do the drawing the underdrawing uh, and of course the silver quickly oxidized and became kind of like charcoal or this is really before graphite was being used for drawing. So it's silver point. Uh, and then the, the pigments come, they've been analyzed, of course, chemically, and they come from all over the world, which means these, you know, they imported uh, and bought very expensive pigments. Uh, some of them are found locally, but uh, you have, you know, the blue is ground up precious stone. You know, you have all of these pigments uh, that are uh, very expensive and amazing. Uh, and then you have gold, real gold, uh, shell, shell gold, basically gold that's ground up so thin and then added uh, with water and made into a kind of a paint. And then that gold is sized, there's a, there's a type of glue underneath it. And of course you can't see that on this, it doesn't reflect. I'll pass around some original illuminated manuscripts with gold on them uh, in just a few minutes so that you can, and then turn the lights on so you can kind of get a sense of what that looks like. It's uh, really amazing. What's uh, cool for me personally is that uh, these designs, this traditional kind of Celtic head with the uh, large eye and the central uh, iris, and then this long uh, club hair, what we call clubbed <laughs> hair, uh, that goes goes uh, down, as well as these uh, this traditional Celtic knot, uh, is present on what I think is one of my favorite artifacts I found in Britain. This is a part of a drinking vessel. It's bronze with silver inlay, and you can of course see the the typical Celtic knot, and then that's the yeah the end of it. This, this, is, this is all nylo or silver inlay, and it's got the same club hair design and the large eye with the iris. So this was, this was from about roughly the same time, eight, seventh, eighth century.
Um, I dug that up. It was really cool. I thought, look at man's head. <laughs> Reckon what that is. Is this the same piece reverse or it's two pieces? Yeah, no, it's the same piece. Sorry. That's very clever how I put those yes. two photos together. <laughs> it exists simultaneously in two different forms. It's magic. <laughs> it is magic, yeah. It's special. Um, yeah, so uh, I want to show a short part, part of a short uh, video real quick about the Book of Kells because um, I'm by no means an expert on it. Um, but hopefully we'll have sound here. Kind of used to this by now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Right. And because of the. All right, stand by. Stand by. It's the it's the sound that always gives us problems. You know, one of these days when this church gets out of debt, we'll have <laughs> facilities that. <laughs> no, I'm not. Closed caption is not available, apparently. Oh. I apologize. <coughs> Sometimes, if I turn it off and turn it back on, it'll work. Let's <laughs> take a moment to please uh, forgive me. Uh, anybody have any questions or comments about the book of Kells? Island, do y'all have any personal anecdotes that might be? I Googled it for the size. Mm -hmm. And it was 300 millimeters by 250 millimeters, uh -huh. which is about almost 10 by 11 and a half. Okay. That's what Google says. Is that the current size? That's what it says, okay. current dimensions. It was, uh, <laughs> talking about, it was, it was, uh, it was trimmed in the mid-19th century, severely, actually, to fit a, a book cover. Uh, these, these, uh, these books had, obviously, if you, if you could, Think about how uh, incredibly valuable uh, and fantastic the, the book is. It had a cover that was equally uh, decorative and valuable and expensive. Uh, I was going to show. I'll show you a picture of uh, one just as soon as we have video again. Uh, so I mean, yeah. I don't know how much is going to be in the video, but just from basic, you know, art history class, ancient art history stuff. Uh huh. Uh, No, 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 I, it probably isn't. Uh, but the Cairo page is, is the symbol Chi and Rho for like the Christ over all symbol. And it's just those letters on one page and it's the most intricately designed thing of the whole book. 
Right, and it doesn't look like the Byzantine Cairo, the Cairo that we're used to, which is like right. a P with an X on it. It's just the two letters, but it's not in kind of the Constantinian format, which it makes it uh, also exceptional. Let's see. I'm feeling good about it. I feel like Han Solo when he says, it's not my fault. <laughs> no, there's no audio. Uh, uh, all right, well, cool. We'll have no video this morning about, uh, let's see. Let's see if this works. Yeah, they're talking about here the gospel tables. They're, uh, yeah, everything's cool. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it when it's mirroring the desktop, it doesn't give you a volume option, so it's supposed to be controlled by the. That's all right. Do what? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I'd be open to any suggestion, but unfortunately. Um, Just make up your own commentary. Yeah, I don't. I, it, yeah. All right. So. Here's, here's some water. Yeah, there's some water. No, I don't. It's all right. Um, it does bum me out because uh, I had a great video by my friend Michelle Brown about the lateral salter, though. Um, that's all right. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. Uh, let me get back to PowerPoint. Um, Again, apologize for that, but if y'all could see Eric Livingston. Apple strikes again. Yeah, well, I think it's, I think it's, it's not Apple, it's Optimum. Oh, yeah, it's, it's Apple. No, it's Eric Livingston. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, so this would have been, uh, this is not, obviously, it's, this is a more modern reproduction of what the original book cover would have been. This is why the Vikings wanted it. It was very, or actually, yeah, we're not sure the Vikings. Somebody stole the book in uh, 1026. Uh, don't know where it went, but when it came back uh, and ended up then at the um, Abbey of Kells, back at the Abbey of Kells, um, it didn't have a cover. So, and it was missing some pages. So we're not, in fact, most of these manuscripts um, there's a lot of history that's lost, but this is what an appropriate cover would have been. It wouldn't have looked like this. It would have been more, it would have looked like the rest of the book. It would have been Celtic, Anglo-Saxon. Um, in fact, it would probably look more like that. Um, this is uh, Anglo, part of the Anglo-Saxon Staffordshire Horde, which is just a lot of gold and garnets. Um, uh, with all the same kind of designs, but this is just a lot of gold and garnets and such. So, anyway, it's an amazing, uh, it's an amazing book, gospel book. Again, probably just for liturgical use. Uh, this is an isolated monastery. Uh, you did have people move in and out, but for the most part, it's just uh, the the monks who worked on it considered it an act of worship by creating the art itself. Um, again, we're in the very early stages of gospel books at this point, so they did not take 
uh, they were beyond just like this. These are these are holy scriptures. Let's just jot them down on plain pieces of you know capskin and send them around and read off of them. It it was uh, the the sacredness of the text was adorned by equally um, highly regarded artistic endeavor, if that makes sense. Uh, because you think otherwise, well, why would they spend, probably took 10 years to make this book. 10 years. We don't do anything that takes 10 years anymore. Um, including architecture and all that other, but it, it took, um, probably would have taken 10 or more years to make this book. So it was a uh, an artistic endeavor to God. The second manuscript on the uh, uh, talk about are the Lindisfarne Gospels, which are very were contemporary, really, and actually maybe a little earlier. They're not as fine, and they're specifically Anglo-Saxon. Now, if you look at this and think, well, it's not that much different than the Book of Kells, uh, it's not because there's a lot of crossover between Anglo-Saxon and um, kind of Celtic, uh, uh, Irish uh, art tradition from this period. Uh, in fact, that's what makes it so hard. Uh, <laughs> that's makes it so hard, so hard when you when you dig something up that has these designs on them. You think, uh, hey, it's Anglo-Saxon or it's Celtic or it's a Viking because the Vikings, although mostly you know came to Britain, would do the raids and go back. Many of them settled, or a good number of them settled, and when they settled, they kind of adopted the kind of the art culture of uh, the Anglo-Saxons and. Um, uh, the Celts. So you see, uh, there, there's a lot of blurring of lines here. But this is uh, again worth noting. Uh, what's and and again, it's a full uh, gospel book. It's a little more rudimentary, uh, a little more. Again, when we see, we'll talk a little bit more about like uh, when we get into reliquaries uh, and kind of the um, the relic cult next week. Uh, we'll see a lot of gold work and metal work that kind of mimics this kind of simple Anglo-Saxon uh, art features. Um, the, the really remarkable thing about this uh, gospel book is that sometime around the 980s, um, someone went in and did uh, Anglo-Saxon English translation in the margins and if you can see the the red letter in the of course it's hard to read because it's the earliest form of English what makes this significant is that this is the earliest uh, English translation uh, of the Gospels we have in any form of English um, we couldn't sit down and read this very well Thomas Jefferson could but we and that's that is significant. This is long, this is uh, several hundred years before Tyndale, several hundred years before um, Wycliffe, any of that Guys, stuff that got was, people killed. What was going on in, in Italy at this time? Is anything in the manuscript being left? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. I haven't made I'm a lot of studies. There are obviously Ita there are Italian illuminated manuscripts. Yeah, now Eastern Eastern, Eastern stuff, uh, uh, we talked a little bit kind of the beginnings of that with Coptic uh, manuscripts. There, scripts, there, it, there are manuscripts going on in the East at this time. 
I don't know that much about them, and they weren't that numerous. I'm not sure why. Lauren, do you know why? They were in Greek. <laughs> we know that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's good, good questions, as always, that I have no answers for, Jonathan. Thank you. Thank you for pointing out the gaps in my knowledge. That's <laughs> all we're here for. That's, That's right. Hey, I, I gave you, I told you before. Uh, so, uh, yeah, any questions about any of that? And again, um, yeah, any questions? Man, hey, I'm missing my videos. We're going to have a little extra time today. Is that a snake? <laughs> yeah, so this is the third uh, manuscript. I want to talk about this, and this is considerably later, uh, uh, circa 1225, 1250. Uh, and I, I always like talking about this because it's really the most important cultural illuminated manuscript for for England, for Britain. This is called the Lettral Psalter, which means it's the Psalms. It has the Psalms. Uh, it has some commentary. It has some prayers. It has a short biography of the man who commissioned it. Uh, but it was a private commission. It was done in a monastery. It was probably done in the Lincolnshire or the Lincoln Abbey uh, by the in the scriptorium there. Um, but it's it's really important to the culture of England, it's probably their greatest cultural uh, manuscript treasure. Uh, it's held at the British Library uh, and has its own curator. Um, but the reason it's so important is that it shows scenes in the margins of everyday provincial life um, uh, in Britain so uh, dramatically, in fact, in such detail uh, that there are things we know about peasant culture in medieval England that we would not know without this manuscript. Uh, and obviously you have, for those, I'm sorry for those who are sitting in the back, you can stand up if you'd like, but at the bottom on this uh, folio you have, you know, typical uh, uh, crucifixion scene and then over here you have a monkey driving a wagon of horses. And we would not know that monkeys they, We did wagon. not know. <laughs> That's right. So that's right. Sure British snakes have feathers on their belly. That's right. And, and you can see that these uh, uh, fantastic, grotesque um, and amalgamations of men and animals and snakes, they're all from... Uh, they're holding uh, different things here. First of all, this a cricket. Uh, She's holding yeah. a cricket bat. Where? In the bottom. Is that what that is? They're playing. Yeah. Like oh, down cricket? here. No, no. That's some kind of. Uh, and they figured this out again. She and she has her belt on, uh, and has. Yeah, she is. She she has a stick, and this somehow is helping to keep the crows away. I don't. I've read. There's extensive commentary, historical commentary on the significance of all these things. This entire plow implement, all of these uh, things, the clothing, everything is so detailed. Uh, and this is an interesting thing. Uh, and this is the shield of the lettral. This is the uh, heraldic device of the lettral family. 
And then this, uh, although this is this is the only, there's two times that where uh, Jeffrey Luttrell was and his family were pictured in the manuscript, and this is the uh, one of them at the bottom. This is the feast they're having with all the. Um, there, uh, I didn't put it up, but there's a page. The opposite of this folio has the preparation of the meal, the entire process of killing the animal, how he went about preparing it, and then the servants going out into the next folio. Uh, and there's the Lord of the Manor and each of his uh, different family members. These are all specific people identified by their specific uh, configuration. Here's a priest uh, who was uh, the family's priest. Uh, and all these uh, implements and bowls and spoons and everything are com are completely accurate to the period, uh, so that now we can match up and have dated uh, different implements and things uh, by identifying them con year, contemporary with that 1225, 1250. So that was before Leonardo painted his last supper. Yeah, <laughs> this is not a last supper. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, yeah. So these again, this dude. Um, these are some seriously creative. I so the the other fascinating part of this is you know why. Uh, this is the Psalms. Why were scenes of provincial and peasant. Um, agricultural depictions. So do you have any idea if the guy who commissioned it also then said, well, I, I want this depicted, or did they just say, turn a view, go with it, man? There's, there's no, way of, no way of knowing that. There's no documentary okay. evidence for that. I mean, Luttrell, like most wealthy you know, English landed class, had massive estates. I mean, his wealth was land his wealth was uh agricultural right. endeavors uh sure. but this <clears throat> what's fascinating about this um is that it, it's a private commission uh and i think it depicts not only this family's um aspirations in this world but the next like it, it's almost this is again the age of purgatory, the age of indulgences. The church was selling indulgences. This is where uh, Jeffrey Luttrell himself left instructions in his will that the psalms be read so many hours a day at the chancel that he donated to his local church. Uh, there, this book itself. Uh, the, the entire commissioning of this book is reflective of a theology of the age that says, and, and all of these scenes of these are my people, these are, these are the things that I've contributed to this life, uh, and then there are other folios. I've, uh, if you can go ahead and hit the lights. I brought uh, over there, to, yeah, thanks. So I brought today, uh, I, um, a one-to-one -one facsimile of the entire, this is the lateral psalter, the entire thing, uh, and you're welcome to come up uh, after, I, after I've done and flip through the pages. This is the exact size. Uh, you know, the boring thing about most of these things is that they're, most, big, most pages aren't perfect pages, or most pages don't have, um, they just have the psalms and decoration, but then, you know, every fifth page or so you'll have uh, these scenes. So come up and look at that. But I think <clears throat> I think the
commissioning of the thing itself uh, says a lot about the theology of the people. Uh, this was a work of art, obviously. Again, we're talking 10 to 12 years in production, and we actually have documentary evidence of that. Um, and uh, enormous cost, enormous cost. Um, and again, commissioning a work of art as a, by this time, not just an act of worship, but an act of penance, an act of, uh, this is going to help me get in. Uh, and of course, after his, after it passed through the family, it was uh, donated to a, a church. You it know. might also get you in good with the archbishop. Uh, yeah, although again, this, it, it, while he, during his life, this stayed at his home. This was not a church. He didn't have this commission for the church. He had a commission for his family. And his family would read from it uh, when he would have people over. Obviously, it was, uh, it was a sign of wealth, but it was also a sign of piety, again, which reflects kind of the theology of the age. What, what does being holy mean? What does being right with God mean? Um, but no matter what its intent was, it's left a great uh, historical record uh, for us, so uh, it was uh, Rich Library couldn't afford to buy it. It came for sale in 1929. The British government wanted it, but it, it was outrageously priced at 31,000 pounds in 1929, which would have probably I don't know what that translation is, but it's probably several, Maybe. several, several million. I'm not. I'm, it'd be great to know, but. They couldn't afford it at the time, so it was bought by John Pierport Morgan, our own guy, uh, and it was given to the. It was it was a loan, non-interest or no interest loan, by Morgan, uh, who also collected, you know, his collection of uh, manuscripts are amazing. But he recognized the culture sig cultural significance to Britain, so he basically gave them the money to buy it. Or he bought it, gave it to him, and then y'all can pay me back when you want. So, great. I'm going to pass around now just a um, uh, just a small uh, gathering of uh, illuminated manuscript pages. None of these, as you can imagine, um, to own actual finely illuminated manuscripts, are, they're very, very expensive. They're still available on the market. Also, they're mostly very small. This is a little bit later, um, 14th century, a book of hours. These are personal devotional books uh, that were made. You can tell how small they are. And then if you'll note on these, um, this is from about 1250, from about the same period, but this is a page from Hebrews, and this was made in a French uh, scriptorium, but it was made for a student basically a student Bible or for a, uh, a candidate uh, for, for uh, priesthood, yeah. Uh, and it's uh, almost unfathomable how you can read it, even more so how you could write it. So these are all on calfskin, vellum, it's all done. Uh, yeah, so I'll just pass those around. And then on the Book of Hours page, you can see the burnished gold, kind of get a sense of what that's like. Uh, yeah. 
another book of our pages that are kind of you can kind of see the same design in the Luttrell Psalter there. So I'm just pass those around. Just care, careful turning the pages. What were these printed on? Well, they're not printed, of course. They're oh, hand they done, right? These are. This is all calfskin no, no, I mean vellum. The, oh, you talking about the no, the, the wrist. Yeah, yeah. This calf, calfskin. Yeah, yeah. Well, sometimes sheepskin. That most of the larger ones were calfskin. The sheepskin, you see, like some of these are done in sheepskin. Um, uh, but like, I, I think they estimated to make the Luttrell there was something like 300 calves, <laughs> 300 calves that... Donated uh, their services? Yeah, well, they didn't kill them just for the skin. <laughs> they did other things for them, but... How heavy would that be? Oh, yeah, he heavy. Yeah. Heavier than that, actually. So, um, so what? any questions, comments, even without the videos? So you said that this took 10 to 12 years. Yeah. What's what's the team of artists working on that or is this yeah, yeah. one person mm, no that's a good question uh again like in most kind of scriptoriums and monasteries that had scriptoriums you had there are three artists three people who are very similar in skill the program once it's set you know that's why it, there's consistency so even though you have three artists working on the you know there might be one of the artists that specializes in the foliage or the decoration one alone who just might do the letters uh, and then you might have uh, uh, somebody who just does the script usually that's how it was you had one person who did all of this they would leave these letters blank uh, everybody knew the program because they did this all the time so they would uh, and they would mark sometimes in the margin in silver point the scripture you know or where they were or uh, some of that that one thing I didn't mention about the Book of Kells that's interesting, it's horrible. Uh, it's not done very well in terms of the actual content. Like the 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 Gospel book, it it repeats. There's eye bleed a lot of times if you've ever done. I've done things before. Here's a copy of a illuminated manuscript page or it's a scan of a page I did for charity. Uh, and I've done full books of hours before in these scripts. And when you're doing Latin. Uh, gothic strip where everything kind of runs together uh, you have I skip and so sometimes you'll be and I've done this you'll be in the middle of a line and then suddenly you do the entire line again and you don't realize that you've just said the same thing uh, it's it's really it's hard when you read Latin but it's really hard when you don't <laughs> read Latin every day uh, but anyway you have a lot of repetition in the book of Kells you have whole sections that are crossed out uh, because it was the wrong section or the wrong part of the gospel <laughs> book. Uh, and then a lot of times you find, I've found uh, on illuminated manuscript pages, I've had little drawings in the margins uh, or little uh, jokes. The monks were notorious uh, when they were doing these copies, do uh, especially up. if it wasn't something as significant as these. But um, they just got bored and they would make little cartoon drawings sometimes and they would make they make jokes so like easter eggs in video games yeah very much so yeah um, there's a magical author named Brenda Van Treese mm. uh, Brenda Rickman Van Treese mm. and she has written three historical novels one about Wycliffe 
one about It's a Nashville author? Yeah. And she's, she's just amazing. I, yeah. I learned, it's so historically documented. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really interesting. Who, who else? Anybody else have a uh, question? So, I'm so there's, yeah. A few years ago, there was an exhibit at the Mm -hmm. Around what was yeah. that exhibit? I'm trying to yeah, I think th those were from the Cleveland Museum of Art. Now, actually, one of the Bible pages, the first Bible page there, that is a uh, page from Hebrews, is from a Bible that's in that collection. Several pages from the same Bible is in that Cleveland art collection. That is one of the most, if you ever get to Cleveland, why would you go to Cleveland, right? <laughs> Rock and roll, rock All right, rock and roll. Hall of Fame. But uh, they, the Cleveland Museum of Art has one of the most impeccable uh, collections of early Christian and medieval uh, art. They have a tremendous uh, illuminated manuscript um, uh, collection. They also have lots of uh, fantastic medieval reliquaries. Just some really great stuff. And that there was a traveling portion of that collection that came. To Nashville, and it was—it's um, impeccable. It, it's worth for me, nerd. It's worth going to Cleveland to see. Uh, it's just—it's fantastic. And they have—they have stuff from early, early Anglo-Saxon <coughs> period, um, all, all the way through uh, uh, through Renaissance period. I would say too, like so, just the basic book of our. These are still intact. Unfortunately, people—that's why you can buy individual pages. Is people cut these things up and disperse them because it's more profitable to disperse them and more affordable because, like, to buy a, f you know, 15th century book of hours um, that just has basic illumination and maybe four or five miniatures, which is a full carpet page of a, a scene, you know, it's three four hundred thousand dollars. So it's very, uh, very expensive. And it's very, and these things are held in private hands and from time to time come up for sale. So there's always the institutional, you know, holding versus private collector uh, debate. But uh, the Hobby Lobby dude, what's his name? Anybody? Uh, Texas guy. For his museum, he's bought up a lot of important illuminated manuscripts in the last five years for that museum. Um, some of which we know were illegal. It's <laughs> a couple of leaves from the Dead Sea Scrolls that he's had to give back. Um, yeah. Getty too. Yeah, Getty was great. Um, in fact, they do. Getty's a great scholarship center for illuminated manuscripts. Um, anyway, any questions? Thanks, y'all. Thank y'all for coming. Sorry, the videos didn't work, but all right.